You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. The pandemic has been a boon to retail alcohol sales of all kind. Beer sales are up, as are those of wine and spirits. What has also changed in the pandemic is the consumer's choice of libations. They're drinking more expensive bottles. People who can't spend on concerts, travel, and watching live sports are splurging instead on high-end spirits to drink at home. That drove U.S. distillers' revenue up 7.7% to $31.2 billion last year, according to the Distilled Spirits Council. It said the figures marked the fastest growth and highest sales for at least 40 years. Unlike in Europe and other parts of the world, Americans have long drunk more at home. Even before the pandemic, four out of every five alcoholic drinks in the U.S. were bought in liquor stores, supermarkets, and other off-premise channels rather than in bars and restaurants. That trend has accelerated. One company that has been right in the thick of the action is the French premium spirits maker Remy Cointreau. Remy Cointreau is a family-owned business whose origins date back to 1724. It's France's third largest spirits business with an extraordinary select portfolio of prestigious brands like Louis Trez, Remy Martin, Cointreau, Metaxa, Mount Gay, and others. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Ian McLernan, Chief Executive Officer of Remy Cointreau USA. In addition to leading the value strategy of the Remy Cointreau luxury brands in the U.S. market, Ian also oversees business development in other markets of the Americas. Throughout his international career, Ian has worked with some of the world's most prestigious brands, including Coors, Moet Hennessy, and Dior. Welcome to The Luxury Item, Ian. Scott, thank you very much. Delighted to be here. No, thank you for joining me on the show. If you think about last year, it, it was really quite a year for the alcoholic beverage industry, you know, shelter in place restrictions, you know, muted on premise sales and overall economic impacts to consumers and supply chain issues presented real challenges to a pretty healthy retail sales outlook at the time. Uh, When you think about uh, how you navigated that period of instability, what were some of the things that you learned and sort of took away from this crisis? I I think, uh, I think there was no play, playbook in terms of how to uh, to manage or lead through the the crisis. I think uh, certainly my view always is you start with the human side, which is you know the safety of our team. Uh, we have a team that are you know spread across the whole of of the Americas, from Brazil right up to to Canada, uh, and a lot of our team are fee based. Um, and really, that our number one priority was the the health and safety of our employees. Um, and regular communication has become very very important. And also realizing that you may have a plan, but the plan has to be adapted because we, you know, we were following CDC guidelines, we were uh, following local state guidelines, and those change on a daily or an hourly basis. Uh, so you learn to be very reactive. Um, I don't believe it changed the, the, the vision of our business in terms of where we're heading or the level of ambition, but we were very, very cognizant of the, the health and safety of our employees. To be very honest with you, I remember uh, over a year ago, when we were doing our annual budget, uh, at that stage, uh, the pandemic was not a pandemic. It was uh, largely localized in, in, in China and, and parts of Asia. Um, we, we knew there was something which was going to potentially be catastrophic for the business uh, if people weren't able to go out, people weren't able to socialize. And we've seen it in China uh, over, over a year ago. Um, and also people were not able to travel. Um, and, uh, you know, if we look at the, the America's business, when the epidemic became the pandemic, 
uh, first or second week of March. Actually, I think it was the week before St. Patrick's Day yeah. where we sent, sent our employees home. We thought, you know, this is going to be a few weeks, a few months, worst case scenario. We didn't envisage it would be a year uh, and actually longer. Um, and I remember saying to the team, look, the one thing we want to do is look after people's health and safety. But there was an acronym, an acronym that I had used just before before this would all happen, VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity. Hmm. And I referenced back to that saying, look, we, we knew this year was going to be an interesting year. It was an election year. Uh, we also have the threat of tariffs, import tariffs on, on, on alcohol. It's been ongoing for the last couple of years. It's related to Boeing and Airbus. Uh, totally, totally outside of, um, I guess, the control of our industry. It's to do with aeronautical, um, and it's a legacy debate. So we, we knew it was going to be an interesting year in terms of unpredictability, but we've come through it strongly. Uh, I first thing for me comes back to my number one priority: our our people have largely been kept in a safe manner, and that yeah. that remains number one priority. Um, the the trends that you mentioned about you know difference between retail or the off premise versus the on have been trends that were already there but what we've seen is an exaggeration of the speed of the change and by that i mean is that the the off premise the retail business had been growing in the north america spirits market for for a number of years um, as people continue to enjoy at home uh, they they continue to enjoy with friends um, we had also seen the trend of uh, trading up, as you mentioned, uh, has been exaggerated. Um, most of the growth in the market is above $20, uh, at premium level and above. Um, and certainly our portfolio has been in a, a good position where we, we play at the, the upper end of, of, of the market. And the biggest, the biggest trend has been, the, the, I guess, the accessibility or convenience of, of buying alcohol or buying spirits specifically. And we've seen a, an immense uh, explosion of growth within e-retail, uh, so e-commerce, digital commerce. Uh, there's many definitions. We work within a three-tier model, so it's um, it's always a little bit more complex where we sell to a wholesaler as a brand owner. The wholesaler sells to a retailer, and now you have effectively a fourth tier, which is uh, companies like Drizzly. And uh, secondly, people like Break, uh, Reserve Bar, uh, Minicart, et cetera. And Amazon uh, are also uh, active in the alcohol category, but we've seen a real, a real growth there. And you know, the growth has been, you know, I think over five hundred percent is the figure some of those companies are are, are quoting. Um, and you know, we we we've seen that as well. And that was very instant from uh, the first few days of the of the of the lockdown, where consumers are starting to buy more online. They were already shopping for their consumer staples, uh, but what they weren't doing before the pandemic was particularly buying alcohol. Uh, I think the Drizzly model of one-hour delivery in major cities has been, uh, you know, phenomenally successful. Uh, it means that you don't necessarily have to stock up, and you're able to buy uh, when's convenient for you. And the final trend that we've we, we've seen is, um, in terms of experimentation, uh, the portfolio portfolio of brands that you have in your drinks cabinet at home has got wider over the last year. So consumers are no longer having two or three categories that they, that they, they stick with. Um, there's much more experimentation. Um, the internet, Instagram, in terms of how to make a particular cocktail type um, educational uh, movies have been very, very popular. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen the use of this technology like Zoom and, 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 and uh, Teams where brands are able to connect with more consumers more on a more intimate basis and be able to explain how to enjoy these products in a uh, in a responsible and more meaningful manner.
the number one cocktail in the US is, is still the margarita, but the, margar the margarita was mainly in the on-premise before. Right. Um, and not, that business has shifted into the, the off, into the retail business. But I, I would suspect the majority of consumers before the pandemic probably didn't really think about how to make a margarita because they were, they were used to it being made in their favorite bar or restaurant or, 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 or venue, but they've had to learn. And we've all had to learn how to, to make these cocktails that we were enjoying in the on-premise. Um, so people have adapted, but these are all trends that were, were there before, but they've, they've been accelerated during the pandemic. Yeah, and you teamed up with Drizzly um, to create a series of online cocktail classes called Virtual Cocktail Studio. Can you tell me more about that? And was that for these new home mixologists? Yeah, that was a concept, uh, Scott, that we actually had. It was a, it was a, before, before the pandemic, it was an actual event. So consumers could come along to a venue and we would do the studio. It was a masterclass for consumers to learn more about mixology uh, and how to, to make the, the cocktails that you, 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 you enjoy. Um, but what we did was we were able to pivot to the, the digital version with Drizzly very quickly. Uh, it's been a phenomenal success. We're doing it on many of our brands. Uh, Contro and The Botanist Gin were the two that we did it initially with, uh, but Mount Gay, and we're now doing it with, with Remy Martin. Um, and we see this as the way forward where digital allows us to connect with consumers on a one-to-one -one basis, a more intimate basis. And we're able to help them have get, get, get our appreciate, better appreciation of how to enjoy the product uh, and also how to explore what their tastes are, what's their preferences. Um, and spirits as a category is very diverse in terms of flavors. Uh, and when you start getting into mixology and cocktails, it makes it even more diverse. Um, and I think uh, for all of us, we have a lot to learn. Uh, and we find that the digital world has made this much, much easier to do. Uh, yeah. And certainly with, with Drizzly, you're able to click and purchase the products as well. So you're able to valorize the purchase within the, the educational approach. Yeah. And another one of your e-commerce initiatives you did uh, with Louis Trey's, you know, it remains one of the, arguably the finest cognac available. Every bottle, I think, is I think probably over $4,000. And you recently opened a direct-to-consumer channel and launched this new e-boutique platform that transcends just the simple shopping experience. Can you talk about uh, Louis Trez e-boutique and how it works? Yeah, L Louis Trez is, is the icon of, uh, of our portfolio. Um, and we, we see the brand as, as more of a luxury choice than necessarily a, a spirit. Uh, product or, or an alcohol product. So the overall experience uh, we want to do is, is about, you know, building that memorable experience. Uh, we want clients rather than consumers. I mean, client for us is a more intimate way of, of zeroing in on the, on, on the people who buy the brand. Um, we want to try and do it on one-to-one -one basis. You know, we have a team of private client directors who are responsible, as you would have in jewelry or high fashion, uh, providing one-on-one -on -one service to, to the end client. Um, and that model works super well. But during the pandemic, we've been less able to do that because of the, the social distancing. And it'll come back. We, we know that uh, that will come after the, the vaccines are rolled out and when it's safe to do so. But we, we recognize there's an opportunity uh, to, to improve the experience online um, in terms of the brand experience, but also the shopping experience. So what we've done is we are partnering with Reserve Bar uh, whereby on louitrez.com, you can get the full brand experience, uh, which is what a lot of clients want to know, is they want to know more about this, this world of, of Louis Trez. 
um, and then you can click straight through to purchase. Um, the, the, the site is powered by, the, the purchase aspect is powered by Reserve Bar, so it's fully compliant. Uh, and we are doing this on a number of our brands and the initial results are, are very encouraging. But what we want to do is start with the experience. We are not just selling a product. Uh, and very much for us, it's, it's worth having a look at what's on Louis Trez. The, the purchase process is very seamless, but the objective is to really valorize the experience um, yeah. online. And that started out in the UK and it just launched in the US, right? Yes. Yeah, correct. And it seems like Louis Trez has been doing some pretty innovative things over the past few years. And I remember um, the whole NFC chip that um, that's that you have embedded in it, correct? In the decanter? Is that how it works? Yes, there's, there's an NFC, uh, which allows you to, to sign up uh, to, to connect with with us as a, a, a on the brand on a one to one basis. That's how we can, uh, if you purchase in a, in a store, you're able to get connection to us. It's uh, super important for us that we get that one-on-one -on -one discussion. It also gives you the authenticity of, 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 of the product. Um, I think that, that Louis Trez as a, as, a, as a proposition has tremendous uh, opportunity in North America. Um, we are very excited for the oncoming years. Uh, and we really want to this, this is not the same as uh, selling or distributing a normal alcohol spirit. We have a separate team. Um, increasingly, the retail, the way that we sell the brand is, is differentiated. Um, and it's not about volume. Uh, it's very different where we judge this on um, the number of clients we have, the value of those clients, their satisfaction, et cetera. It's a very, very different model to uh, perhaps other brands in our portfolio. So. Uh, it's very successful and uh, you know the U North America and China are the, are, are, are the big markets for, for Louis Trez. So is the e-boutique and the Drizzly partnership part of a longer term e-commerce strategy for Remy Quantra? E-commerce I believe is an important part for business and, and building convenience for all of our brands. Uh, the, the, the end consumer or the client of our brands is choosing to, to buy online. It's, a, it's about convenience. Um, I, I believe that we need to make our brands accessible. It needs to be fully compliant. We need to make sure that we're also able to protect uh, uh, the legal drinking age and, and, and the usual um, uh, responsible consumption messages as well. I believe that there will be further expansion in e-commerce in terms of new operators. So I think Uber, Drizzly, uh, Reserve Bar, and a number of those players, I think there's going to be a, quite a lot of exciting news coming in the oncoming years. You know, That's the, great. IWSR are forecasting in 2021 that the, the largest uh, e-retail market for alcohol in the world will become the US. It'll overtake China this year. And, and certainly a year ago, one wouldn't have predicted that. So no, the not at all. Pandemic has accelerated it. And before the pandemic, you know, research was showing that, you know, legal drinking age adults in the US were showing a greater pension for premium spirits compared to beer and wine. Are you seeing more legal drinking age adults widening their taste to brands like Louis Trez and Remy Martin Cognacs? The, the, the trend, which is a global trend, a macro trend, is consumers are drinking less, but better quality. Uh, so trading up, as, as you mentioned, that has certainly been, again, accelerated during the pandemic. We believe that will continue to, to be the case uh, for, for, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the level of premium or super premium products, so the products above $20 and above $30 in spirits, is not that big because the bulk of the market in North America is below 20. 
so that we see plenty of uh, tailwinds for growth over the next decade and, and 20 years. We believe that trend will continue. Certainly, we see within Cognac as a category, we see significant opportunities. Uh, and what, con what consumers are asking is they want full traceability. They want to know more about the authenticity of the product. Where does it come from? How is it made? Is it sustainable? Uh, and we believe that Cognac as, a, as an appellation uh, or a designated area, a protected area, um, is fascinating for consumers. I think there's a real desire to learn more. Uh, and the same way with champagne, I think there is a, a real opportunity for, for, for consumers to learn more about champagne. And also you have supply constraints uh, in terms of there is only so many acres that are available uh, each year. Um, and it's unlike a non-aged product uh, we are always planning years ahead. Uh, so VSOP by law is four years. Um, some products are over 10. Um, so really you're, you're always planning nearly a decade, a decade ahead in terms of your inventory management and predicting the trends mm -hmm. in terms of products. Um, we're not in the tequila market, but tequila is very similar. You know, uh, tequila is, is, has also seen trading up. And again, you know, you have a supply demand debate on, on agave. Um, but what we see is the general trend of trading up is driven by um, consumers wanting to know more about the brand. And they want to not just see an advertising, they want to really know the story. They want to know the heritage. The good thing about the, the spirits category is there's many brands with centuries plus of, of heritage. And you still have a lot of family owned businesses um, such as ourselves, which have a real rich history. Um, I think that the history and the, the story over the over those years is quite consistent. Um, when you talk about sustainability, certainly if I'm speaking for our own business, sustainability is at the heart of all of our brand. You know, you have to value the uh, the terroir, the land, uh, the, the 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 farmers, the partners that we work with, the supply chain, uh, the people who work in it. Uh, which you know, it's all one large family, and it's an ecosystem that we have to look after for next generations, um, because that's our business, which is about building something that's 10 years away, quite often from planting the grape um, to, to being on a shelf or being on a, on a back bar in, in Manhattan. It's, it's a very unique business compared to perhaps the beer industry, which is much more instant or other consumer goods. Yeah, what type of initiatives is uh, Remy Quantro doing on the sustainability front? I, you were mentioning it's the heart and soul of that brand. So what are some of the practices, working practices? I think it's instilled in everything we do. Um, we, if you, if anybody goes to our, our corporate website, you will see a lot of information about what we're doing. We're doing a lot, which we have been doing over many years. Uh, I would say it's, it's, it's like the air we breathe. It's, it's, it's in everything we do. And certainly when our brand teams, our sales team are thinking about initiatives, we do think about the environmental impact. Um, Excess packaging is something that we have made good strides over the last uh, the last 12 months to, to reduce uh, and to focus on, firstly, understand what does the consumer expect in packaging? And also to, to work out uh, if a product's been gifted, you know, what, what do you need to be the gift solution to make it uh, attractive um, and, and to valorize the, you know, the relatively high price point on some products do require gift boxes. Um, but there are many other products in our portfolio that don't require a gift box. And the gift box is surplus. Uh, it ends up ending in the trash 
can in the system. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's recycled, but if you don't put it into the system in the first place, then we're, we're starting a, a much more positive momentum. So we've made massive progress there, um, such as our point of sale materials, which are displayed in store or in back bars, we are eliminating the use of plastic. And that's something that's quite common across our industry, which is there was a lot to be done. Uh, and it's something that uh, you know we've made significant progress and we will eliminate plastic uh, within the, the, the oncoming years in all of our materials. That's great. The final area, which I think is probably the most important is what we do in terms of our people. And people are all the stakeholders in our business. I think that worldwide uh, and specifically in North America, the, the, the topic or the subject of diversity and uh, inclusion and equity is even more important today. Uh, and that, I think, is a good thing to be able to put it on the radar. Uh, it's not just a PowerPoint deck. It's not just a strategy that you have to have. It's part of businesses. We have three corporate values, people, terroir and time. And I would argue always that the people uh, and building a culture, uh, being able to connect with our end consumers, giving back to communities and taking a long term view are super important. Uh, for, for our brands. Do each of your brands have specific goals each year in terms of sustainability? And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 certainly part of everything we do from, from a group level down to a brand level or a Maison level and also at a regional level. We're, we're all very clear of what needs to be done. And I'm really proud of, of, of my team in the Americas because it's very, very much something which they come back with great initiatives and a lot of the, 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 the areas that we've improved have come from our employees saying, look, we think we can do this. Why don't we do that? And then when we talk to the consumer, we validate the idea and then we're able to put it in place very quickly. You know, when Remy Quantrill saw a strong double digit growth in the third quarter of its fiscal year, which ended three months ending December 2020. So congratulations on that. That's great. Um, your premium cognac sales got a big boost from people treating themselves to the good stuff during the pandemic. What do you attribute to the, the sales surge? I think the starting point is cognac as a category is relatively small in North America and USA specifically. Uh, it's about 6% of spirits in terms of, of value. To put it in perspective, tequila is about 12%. So tequila as a category is double, double the size. I, I think there's more than ample room to continue to grow. Um, the growth is coming from trading up. So existing cognac drinkers are trading up from a VS cognac to a VSOP to an XO. Uh, they're migrating up and they are treating themselves. Some of that's driven by the fact that if you were spending $100 in the on-premise, um, that $100 goes much further uh, in the off-premise. So for example, in the on-premise, that may buy you four, four cocktails. In the off-premise, that would buy you two bottles. Um, so essentially it's better value for money. So that has encouraged consumers at home to trade up and to experiment with better quality products. We believe that has been great for trial uh, and we don't believe that consumers will down trade when they go back to the on-premise. They will expect the same level of quality that they've been enjoying over the last 12 months. And how do you keep that up? I mean, after things start opening up, um, how do you keep that um, momentum going when they are out of their homes and they're out in the world and doing sort of somewhat normal things that they used to do. I think it's important that cognac as a category is front of mind. 
and it's part of the consideration set. So when you're thinking about a cocktail, you're thinking about a long drink or, or, or a shot or, or a product on the rocks that cognac is considered. The opportunity is against whiskey, where whiskey is generally most front of mind as a right. brand for it. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen that growth coming from trading up. So existing cognac drinkers buying better quality and, and spending more. But also we've seen a lot of growth coming from new entrants into cognac over the last 12 months. So we have a lot of high interaction with uh, whiskey drinkers who are coming into cognac or reappraising cognac for the first time. And I, we've really seen that with some of the products such as 1738 in our portfolio, which really we've been playing to say, it's more than a cognac, it transverses categories. And there's a big education job to, to, to be continued in terms of explaining where cognac comes from, the way that cognac is matured, the, the blending process, um, the length of time it requires as well. And you know, I think that we can continue to switch drinkers from whiskey and from other premium categories. Uh, we're, we're quite confident that the 6% share that Cognac has today will, will grow. To answer your question specifically about the on-premise, um, what will become very important is the advocacy of the bar staff. When you walk into your, your favorite bar or, your, or on a business trip, you go to a hotel, um, what you're recommended or what you see on the menu or what you see on the back bar are the three key touch points. The most powerful is the bartender. The bartender is the best brand ambassador you can employ. Um, and we're doing a lot of work in terms of bartenders, in terms of advocacy. Uh, we, have a, we have a team who's, whose job it is to, to work with them. Um, and the more that we can educate bartenders on our category and our products and how to use them, and then also how to sell them to the uh, uh, end consumer, uh, we believe that we can continue to grow. Yeah, because the end consumer is going to start asking more. The end consumer is going to start asking more questions because they've learned so much over the past year. So they have to be educated. Exactly. You know, the the it may be that the margarita you're able to make at home. What's the difference about the margarita that you're going to enjoy in your favorite bar? You're going to expect more. You're going to expect something that the bartender adds to it that creates a twist or, or creates some some additional value. I want to change the subject just for a, a minute and get your thoughts on the whole celebrity branded liquor market that seems to be oversaturated these days, you know, George Clooney, Jay-Z, you know, Ryan Reynolds, Matthew McConaughey, Drake, just, you know, just name a few really gotten into the liquor business. So do you think it's had a positive effect on the industry? I, th I think if you look at the, the products that you just mentioned, they, they, they appear to be doing well. Uh, they're, they're not in our portfolio. Um, if it brings new entrants into the spirits category, that's a good thing. If it's sustainable or not, I don't know, uh, to, be, to be very honest with you. I, I think that in the world of spirits, what is, is, is paramount importance is the product integrity, the product quality. Um, again, the level of innovation in spirits is relatively low compared to uh, CPG. You know, it's, it's, it's really, you, you may have a new release or you may have a new vintage, uh, but generally, there's, there's not a lot of innovation because it takes so long to, to, to lay the product down and age and mature. Um, so as a result, to put a celebrity on a product that is famous or cool today, perhaps in 10 years time, it's going to be very different. We, we all know in today's uh, age that uh, consumers are very fickle about uh, celebrities. Right. Um, and certainly for us, the, you know, the, the celebrity of our uh, product is quite often is the master distiller, the master blender, 
uh, and the people behind the brand. And I think that uh, it's very similar to fashion, where the creative director is ultimately the you know the the, the inspiration behind the brand. Right. Uh, for example, for Remy Martin, it's the the seller master Baptiste that is very much the um, the driving force in terms of the creativity um, and the consistency of the products. Um, but Baptiste is not a celebrity. I would say he is. Uh, <laughs> we do we do use him in some of our campaigns to reinforce the people behind these brands. Um, Mount Gay is one of our brands, and we have Trudy on, uh, who's the, the master blender. Um, and, and she is fantastic with the media because she's so authentic. Uh, and again, I would argue that in my eyes, she's a celebrity because she's talking about how she creates the product. And she's responsible for this fantastic product that people enjoy. Um, so we have a slightly different take on what the world's word celebrity is. So restaurants have been hit harder than any other industry during the pandemic. The number of restaurants that were forced to shutter last year are just shocking. I mean, there's like more than 110,000 eating and drinking establishments in the U.S. closed for business, whether temporarily or permanently, last year. With nearly 2.5 million jobs erased from pre-pandemic levels, that's according to the National Restaurant Association. Could you speak about Quantro's Cosmos for a Cause partnership with the Independent Restaurant Coalition IRC late last year? Yeah, the whole way through the pandemic, we realized that we needed to do more to support our partners in hospitality, who you know who've been decimated during the uh, the pandemic because when they've had the close then you know you have furlough your staff you have to pay your rent etc we actually have worked with a number of bodies we started working with the u.s bartenders guild through their benevolent fund uh, at the start of the pandemic and we continue to work with them similarly the benevolent fund in canada for the bartenders we started working then with the irc in the fall as, as you, you say with the cosmo cosmos for a cause uh campaign and we found them great partners uh, the irc has really was formed to 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 lobby or to make the Restaurants Act become reality. And, and you know, it's delighted in the last two weeks that it's been part of the 1.9 uh, trillion stimulus includes the Restaurant Revitalization right. Fund, which was based on the Restaurants Act. So the IRC, I think, have done a fantastic job. Uh, the IRC are not professional lobbyists. They are owners of restaurants, bars, etc., and really passionate people to work with. We have very similar values. Um, and really, we, we, we had a fantastic uh, program with them in the fall that led then to the love letter campaign that we, we launched around the Super Bowl for Contro. Yeah, that's that's um, what I wanted to talk to you about. It's really incredible. In February, you know, Quantro and IRC, you collaborated on this campaign to support the local restaurants with this 30 second spot titled Love Letter that ran on the most watched TV event of the year in the US. And that's the Super Bowl watched by more than 100 million people across platforms. How did the whole idea of the Love Letter campaign come about? And when did you decide, you know, hey, we really need to air this on the Super Bowl? During the fall, uh, our teams were having a discussion with the IRC um, and the IRC really wanted to increase awareness, particularly with, with consumers in terms of um, their cause and this message in terms of supporting your local independent restaurant and, and supporting the hospitality industry. And it was one of those ideas that it was created very quickly where control we believe is at the heart of mixology, mixology, ultimately is in, in the on-premise and it's in hospitality, has been for over 100 years. Um, we were in the very first cocktail book in 1890, I think, 
Uh, and Contro as a brand was the first brand to advertise in the cin- cinema with the wow. Luminaire brothers in 1890. Um, so we, we, have a, we, have a, we have a history of being involved in hospitality. We've also got history of doing big things on, on, on the screen. Um, you put that together, we come up with the idea, which is quite an audacious idea to, to, to run a spot which is not a traditional brand spot during right. Super Bowl. Uh, it was a call to action. It was a rallying call to consumers to help boost awareness of the IRC. Um, and also, you know, it helps build awareness of control, build the association with a channel that we're very proud to support. Um, you know, we, we, we're very happy with the, 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 the results and the feedback we're getting, but it's really just the start. And we met with the IRC leadership uh, three weeks ago and we were saying the same we really want to help them get to the next stage because the hard work starts now in terms of rebuilding the on-premise um the, you know some people in the industry are saying it's called the new premise so mm. yeah, there's it's got to be a combination of the off and the on put together because cocktails to go is now available in 20 states where the on-premise are able to deliver to your home so in new york scott you can you can ring your favorite bar and they're able to deliver to your home uh, before the pandemic, they weren't able to do that. So there's a little bit of blurring of the, 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 the division of what the premises are. Um, we want to help uh, the on-premise or hospitality uh, rebound fast. We believe that this is a long-term investment. It's something we've always done. And it fits very, very well with our values in terms of people, terroir and time. We'll take our time on this. It's a long-term investment. We believe that people are at the heart of our business. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the best brand ambassadors we have are bartenders and people who work in hospitality. We want to support them uh, and help them get back up and running. So we'll be seeing more initiatives with, uh, with IRC. That's the plan. Great. So how do these multi-century old, you know, legacy brands, you know, like Remy Martin, Louis Trez, Mount Gay, Metaxa, continue to innovate while preserving their brand's heritage? Compared to other products and other categories we generally our products come from one place so your starting starting point is the terroir which is the land the area the the geographical area where the product comes from Um, so you don't have so much freedom in terms of npd or 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 product development because remember also you know the element of time which is most of our products are aged and in some cases you're laying down you know a generational approach um, which is very unusual for sometimes we have people joining our business from CPG and they, 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 they find it strange that we, we plan so far ahead. Quite often <laughs> your, your planning cycle is 10 years. It's very hard. We didn't predict uh, the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's always going to be a few bumps in the road. But at the end of the day, you have to start with the product integrity. You believe you have a product that hasn't changed much over the centuries in some of the, some of the cases. Brands like Mount Gay, the oldest um, rum distillery in the world, hasn't changed much that you know the essence of the the product uh, that the founder set out to to, to set exactly the same with Remy Martin same with uh, Contro the, the basic idea for the product and its proposition hasn't changed much it's evolved with the times um, but at the heart of it is we have a product that we believe is timeless and we our job of the marketing teams is to make sure we are making it relevant but you don't really change the intrinsics of the product which is very different from other categories. I guess it's similar to quite often to, to watches and jewelry, where you know at the end of the day that the heart of, of a watch doesn't change much. Right. Um, we we believe that we are building a business not just for today or tomorrow, but for next generation. And 
it's a very, very different model. Does that mean that we have short-term pressures? Yes. Um, you have to be able to react to opportunities short-term, but quite often there's a longer planning cycle in our business. Um, innovation is as much about flavor expressions. So it may be different cask finishes in the world of whiskey or in, in, the, in, in our rum business. Um, but if you look at our gin business, for example, the botanist gin, which is doing phenomenally well in, 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 uh, in the US, we've, we, we, we've chose not to jump into what everybody else is doing, which is flavor extensions, launching new products. We have a core, core skew, a core product that we believe is, is, is fantastic. Uh, we might be a little bit biased in my comment, but uh, <laughs> we, we tend not to introduce lots of new products. It's a very, very different model to, to, to how consumer goods work. There's this sense of optimism in the air these days. You know, people are starting to get vaccinated. Bars and restaurants are steadily reopening. The pandemic has left its mark on eating and drinking habits probably forever. What is your thinking now on the, what the new normal is or, and what will it look like? I think the new normal uh, is not so dissimilar from what we had before. I think there's some basic um, needs that consumers or society have. One of them is about sociability. People want to get to be together. People want to be able to share experiences. I, I believe that our products are at the heart of experiences. It's not just a a liquid. It's not just a juice, as, well, as people in wine would say. We're in the business of experiences. It's about evoking memories. I think that we've all been locked away for the last uh, the last 12 months in our bedrooms or our studies. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand to see our friends and get back to those experiences. And I believe that our brands uh, and the spirit category generally is at the heart of enabling those types of um, moments again and getting back to the basics that we really like, which is seeing other people and talking and chatting and enjoying and uh, getting on with life. Nevertheless, the world has changed. Um, I think we will find that more of those occasions may be at home, or will be at home, rather than necessarily the traditional on-premise environment. I think the on-premise itself will be reimagined. I think that the experience will be different. I think that when you go to your, your favorite bar and you're asking for a cocktail, Consumers will expect more or they will expect to want to know more about the product. And I think that the, the heritage, uh, the sustainability, um, the provenance of that brand is even more important today than it was a year ago. And, uh, you know, we're very comfortable that our brands are, are well positioned. Uh, if you're a brand that continues to change its communication every year, you have a new brand manager every three years, you, you change your positioning. Um, that's, that's not necessarily, I think, taking a long-term view. Um, and if I look at other consumer products that are struggling, it's quite often it's when they don't have that heritage and consistency. Yeah. That's the difference with spirits and certainly the difference within uh, the Remy, the Remy Contro portfolio consistency. Yeah, I, I think that the, the outlook for the economy and, and certainly this week, the, the Fed have been very positive on the GDP forecast, uh, you know, 6% six, six plus. Uh, inflation remains relatively low in, in the US. And unemployment is coming down. You know, they were forecasting uh, five, five or six percent unemployment. So there's a lot of reasons for optimism, but there's a lot of other you know bumps along the way uh, over over the oncoming year. But I, I believe that consumer trends will continue in terms of what we've seen 
pre and post the pandemic. So the, the trend, the trading up, I think will continue. Uh, drinking less, but drinking better will again be be important. And, and as I said earlier, the, the this 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 notion of understanding what's behind the brand will become even more important. And that's part of what consumers are intrigued by. But price becomes less of an issue. It's a consequence of of, of finding out more. And also, you know, you have rarity as well when you're when you're working with uh, products that are aged uh, and have limited uh, availability. You know, I think there's an element of um, uh, exclusivity. You know, Brooklady whiskies, for example, are not distributed in every whiskey store in the US. I don't, I don't believe they should be today. Um, I think that the internet also, e-commerce helps make the products more accessible if you do want to, to, to be able to acquire, if your local store doesn't have it. Ian, so my final question that I ask all my guests is the luxury item question. So if you were stranded, on a deserted island, and you could only have one luxury item with you, one single luxury item, what would that luxury item be? It can't be a form of air transportation, or it can't be a speedboat and um, water skis, because I know you're an expert water skier. So (laughs) take that out of the equation. I'm sorry. So what is the one luxury item that you would like to have with you on this deserted island? No mobile service either. I think I would have to say I'd be my wife. Uh, Good answer. She, she, she may not say she's a luxury item, but uh, yeah, if, I think wife number one. But if, if my wife wasn't available or I was stranded on my own, I think it would have to be a bottle of champagne for a number of reasons. One is Telmont Champagne, which is uh, one of our, our newest uh, members to our portfolio, I think would be fantastic to have. Um, and it's one of those brands you can really sip and savor and uh, enjoy. Um, but also functionally, I would have, be able to put the message in the bottle, the SOS message to hopefully get someone <laughs> to, to come and rescue me. So smart, Ian. <laughs> I love that. Ian McLernan, Chief Executive Officer of Remy Quantro USA. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. It's a pleasure, Scott. That's it for this episode of The Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.